That's right. Uh, what is going on? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what is going on, everyone? We are now live. Bass and Bourbon episode number two. Um, Going to be another fun one. The first one with Dirds, we uh, had a little casting couch going on and hung out over on the casting couch and filmed <laughs> that one live for you. But tonight, a little bit more conventional setup. Alex is in Tennessee, obviously, and Dirds is over there playing with rods. So. So what tonight's going to be about, we're going to let some people hop in here and then we'll do the little intro, but what's going on, guys? That's the greatest intro I've ever heard. Dirge is playing with his rod. There's a casting couch. There's an old woman in Wisconsin paying for videos of me. I mean, it's fantastic. I, I'll, I'll be honest. I've seriously thought about starting an OnlyFans for my beard and it just being close crop shots of my beard and just putting it in the putting it in the description of my videos just to see if anybody actually clicks on it. Oh, dude, for sure. Yeah. I mean, some people would, right? Like, you could even have a free one just to get people over there and then, like, sell, like, real close-ups of, like, food in your beard and, like, oh, yeah. really artistic beard shots. I'm telling you, I think people what's would that, buy it. Where it's just, like, a person slamming down credit cards. Money. Take my yeah. money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's something for everyone, right? So. That's awesome. But, yeah, Dirds and I uh, went to a sports show today and hung out down there and watched that. And, it was uh it was fun yeah what kind of I did a lot of and i bought an overpriced bratwurst that was pretty did unsatisfying horrible but it was worth five dollars man I'm, I'm telling you what i didn't eat anything down there because i knew it was gonna be like eight bucks for a hot dog or a bratwurst or something so. like a fishing show or like what kind of yeah. what mean sport yeah oh, we okay. went down to see zona basically we went down to see zona uh talk about smallmouth fishing so Gotcha. About Ned for an hour. Yeah, he we, we were joking and we're like, how does someone talk about Ned Rig fishing for like an hour? Like how can someone drag out Ned Rig fishing for an hour? Mm-hmm. And uh sure enough, it's almost giant smallmouth talk ended up being a Ned Rig seminar for about an hour. That's hilarious. It was actually pretty interesting though. Like it was kind of what you and I talked about, Alex, with fishing heavier Ned rigs and ready to fall, mm-hmm. like to get fish to react to it. Mm-hmm. oh yeah i mean i don't ever fish it traditionally i jerk it off the bottom as hard as i possibly can i mean like i crack it like cracking a jig i mean like seriously mm-hmm. it wasn't so much about net because it was about yeah yeah rate of rate of fall for big small though but okay guys we're gonna start this thing off what i'm gonna do is a small introduction we'll talk about the bourbon tonight which is a pretty empty bottle um and <laughs> <laughs> we'll dive into it. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to Bass and Bourbon, episode number two. I'm your host, Benjamin Nowak, and tonight we're going to be talking about live scope fishing, the effects that it has on smallmouth bass, and actually its ability to help you target bigger and more smallmouth, especially with a bunch of guys across the country catching like 30-pound bags and 35-pound bags and seven-pounders. It's really important to discuss this because there's talks of it being banned. There are certain guys online who want it to be banned. We're going to talk about the pros and cons of banning live scope and the effects that it has on smallmouth bass fishing. Now, obviously, this podcast is bass and bourbon, so it wouldn't be complete without talking about a little bourbon. Now, this is Boone County bourbon. It's a 90.8 proof bourbon whiskey um, from Boone County, Kentucky. Uh, nothing too crazy about this. I got it at my local liquor store, but that's what I'm going to be drinking tonight. I've um, been to Boone County, Kentucky. Have you? 
I have. I've drove I mean, through Boone County, Kentucky. It's like a really County. small band or a really small brand, I think. It says we're born in 1883, so or 1833, but I know this is bass and bourbon, but I need to buy you a jar of that. Uh actually I just need to go buy you a real jar of moonshine and send it to you. And we'll do bass yeah. and moonshine. <laughs> yeah. It would be a bass and Ben passed out. Bass and blackout. <laughs> uh, Here we go. We Talk about that today. Oh my gosh. No, this is really good whiskey. I'm not all about like the mash bill. Like I can't tell you all that. I just know that whiskey's good or, or bourbon's good. And if I like it, I like it. So I'm not one of those guys that's going to be here like, oh yes, this has a hint of an oak taste with a little floral arrangement on the nose. I'm like, no, this is a good bourbon that I enjoy. Obviously, like most of the bottle is is gone. And so it's just hit that last little bit, bit, just down it. Oh God. God. Yeah. You got it. Third of a bottle, quarter of a bottle. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. I personally don't like the arrangement on the uh, no. I like it on the back of the tongue. So, yeah. Really. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but, yeah, we talked a little bit about how you guys are doing. I mean, kind of give a rundown, Alex. Like, you went out fishing the other day. How did that go? You're excited. Yeah. Uh, went fishing yesterday. Um, the fishing trip itself was interesting. I caught five tiny largemouth and then about a 35 or 40 inch muskie. So that was pretty fun. Absolutely demolished an Alabama rig. Like when I say demolished an Alabama rig, like it was one of those, the water completely disappeared off of it. I completely lost it. And then it doubled a seven, three heavy rod completely over. So it was really fun. Then unfortunately we uh stopped at the the tackle store i walk in for like five minutes get what i need walk back out stick my keys in my truck and turn it over and it just goes nothing like not even a click no lights come on anything so we try to jump it off it doesn't jump we go get a new battery well then i turn it over and it starts to like turn over but it never like fires and like completely turns on and i can literally turn the key and take my hand off the key and it'll go da -da 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 for like 10 seconds trying to start so we tried everything under the sun fuses and relays and all this stuff that i could do there and the truck is still sitting at the tackle shop so i'm taking off work tomorrow and calling a, a tow truck to come tow my truck to the dealership and we're going to try to figure out what the heck is wrong with it so yeah that's how it went. It was interesting, to say the least. Yeah, definitely interesting, evidently, because uh, that's uh, sounds super exciting. Yeah, it was great. Super, super exciting. Oh, man. Durs, what rod are you building over there? I am building a 7.3 Heavy Medium. It is my super sneaky Great Lakes smallmouth rod. So it's actually it's a casting blank. Um, but what it's got is it's obviously seven foot three. It's got a moderate load, but a decently quick tip. So like when we do our, um, like tube crack in and like when we're drop shot to large mouth, um, it's got the, uh, as old Alex Rudd would say, it's got the ass to pull them out of their ass. That's right. But, uh, it's got that soft tip where you can do, um, a decent amount of things with it. So that's that's like, especially Great Lakes fishing, right? You want a little bit longer rod that you can really like set the hook on the end of a long cast. But like for largemouth fishing, it's really more about just the power to be able to get them out of stuff. It's not even necessarily the long cast. Yeah. 
most of the time that I'm fishing this rod, it's not, I'd say it's more like offshore stuff, right? Like it's not, we're like, as much as we fish around docks and shallow cover, this rod is not what you want to do it with. But when you're fishing those deeper grass lines, like we like to, and obviously open water smallmouth, like it's the cat's the jade. So, blanks yeah. <laughs> yeah. and tube over there in the corner. Um, but waiting on real feet because Fuji is back ordered to all kingdom come. So, yeah, what I'm working on tonight. I know it's so, not going to be like a, a rod building discussion, right, in entirety, but start to like. I think about Fuji and I almost don't give them as much praise as I used to give Fuji, right? Because so many other manufacturers are coming out with such high quality products. Like a Fuji seat now is obviously still premier and premium, but at the same point, like any other rod seat you can get is almost as good or better than you've ever had up to this date. You know what I'm saying? Like I had this discussion with TFO. I got on the phone with Ross and we we're talking about like a hundred dollar rod now is like a two hundred dollar rod was ten years ago, five years ago. Mm -hmm. but. Well, the, the reason that I got into like building my own rod and I like the Fuji stuff. I mean, I have putting on there right now are from that original rod that I built that I broke when I was out there free fishing with Hemi. And yeah, bad day, bad day. I mean, rings definitely have some skin on them, but um, still in good condition. But I started really building rods because there's specific things that I like. I, mean, I don't know of anybody that offers a rod that is like the one that I'm building currently. I like a certain type of reel handle. I like the essentially the distance from where I'm going right to my elbow. I like. Um, particularly a spinning rod, that whole length of what was that part of the rod butt? Mm -hmm. right? so, yeah. So I build the rod almost to my body, and then what I do as well um, is I balance them to each reel that I'm going to put on it. So I may be adding some weight to the rod that I'm fishing, um, but in my hand, it will sit. So it feels lighter. It may be heavier, but it fishes lighter. So those are some of the I got into it. And, you know, you can get very high quality blanks um, at discount prices if you go to like wholesale or something and build a higher quality rod for a little bit cheaper. And, and at the end give of the day, us, uh, give us the rod blank model again, real quick, for the people that are watching. So there's some comments coming in about it. And then, um, how many eyes are you using? So uh, that's actually a good point too, is the amount of eyes that I put on the rod. This rod is 7.3. I have 10 eyes, including the tip. So that would be 11 um, total. And what you'll get with that is, Ben, you've seen it. When you arc that rod, like there's not like we see a pinch point in the guide. So you get a lot smoother uh, drag hole. Um, but the blank, is a Northport composite. It's Gary Lewinson Company. Um, I think honestly, these blanks that I'm building on are um, Kistler Z Bones, um, some other things that I don't care to mention uh, just because I don't want to give that out. I I'm not 100% certain, but I think that's what it is. Uh, but it's their X Ray 736. It's, uh, it's 
aluminum heavy, uh, it's like an 8 to 16 pound test rod. Um, and yeah, so it's yeah, a typical medium heavy, right, in that like 10 to 17, 12 to 18 pound range. Just a little step below that. So it yeah. kind of plays the range that we fish. Um, I will say, if you're getting into rod building, a big thing to look at is not necessarily the lure rating, but the line rating. Uh, I think that gives you a lot better indication of where that rod's kind of going to play for you. So. Thank you. Well, cool, man. Cool. Um, with that kind of said, let's start to dive into the topic of tonight, which is live scope fishing and the impact on smallmouth. And I, I know there's going to be some caveats, but we'll start there. And then I kind of want to talk about like smallmouth fishing as a whole, like where we see smallmouth fishing going and um, kind of the size of fish across the country. So basically what kind of spurred this on is obviously over the last year to year and a half to maybe two years, you've started seeing guys use live scopes specifically to target like giants, like true, true, true giant fish, whether that's down in Texas catching those 14 pounders on OHIV and all those Texas lakes, or it's up here catching like a lot of seven pounders. And I've done it, right? I've caught six and a half pounders. I've caught a lot of big fish specifically looking at them on live scope. And I went to see the Mark Zona seminar today. One of the questions that I asked him was, where do you see, or how do you see, live scope impacting smallmouth and like you said it impacts smallmouth because it really is the game right you have a big population of fish that are offshore suspended um but it's also impacting anglers because you get so locked into it you get to the point where like that's all you look at that's all you do and it can almost take away from that but i'm kind of curious what your thoughts are like are smallmouth actually getting bigger like, are we seeing this ballooning population of big smallmouth? Or do you think that guys are able to target those giant smallmouth more effectively because of live scope? Well, I know here in Tennessee, we are seeing bigger smallmouth than we've ever seen. And like northern Alabama, before live scope even was a thing, they started showing their faces. Like, you know, you had guys going and fishing dam discharges and catching eight and nine pound smallmouth. And I mean, I think it's just a matter of time now and we'll start seeing 10 pound smallmouth. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, I know Alabama uh, Department of Resources, Tennessee's TWA, like all these places have done a really good job of stocking a lot of smallmouth. And they've also done a really good job of stocking, you know, more and different kinds of bait. So like you've got lakes like, Watts Bar that didn't historically used to be a smallmouth lake that almost every single tournament you see now, people will be holding up five fish and two of them are big smallmouth. And out of Watts Bar last year, there was, man, I want to say like four smallmouth that were over eight pounds caught. And so, and a lot of them were caught just doing like stuff like going down the bait, cranking a crankbait. It's not like they were looking at them. Yeah. And so I think you're just having a population of small baths specifically here in the South that have started to learn how to eat bluegills and gizzard shad. And, you know, we've got them big jumbo perch. Now there's more perch than ever before. And I think you just got smallmouth that are eating that giant bait like that, that are just turning into true blue giants. And then plus we have a longer growing season. And so I think that's also playing into the fact that, you know, we don't have ice that gets over these small mouse heads so they can grow 12 months out of the year with no interruption, eat 12 months out of the year with no interruption 
and just get enormous. I almost think part of that too is zebra mussels, right? Smallmouth mm-hmm. are notorious sight feeders. And so waterways pretty much across the country from top to bottom, east to west, mm-hmm. are getting cleaner with zebra mussels. As much mm-hmm. as we don't like zebra mussels, as much as we want to keep them out of the water, like they're cleaning up the waterways. And I think largemouth and uh, largemouth and smallmouth are just getting bigger and being able to feed a lot better. Absolutely. I got to read this because it's just freaking <laughs> hilarious. My dad, my dad's in the live chat. He says, I have the off brand. It's called Skyvelope. He can only see stations. <laughs> <laughs> he ain't got the live scope. We've got the Skyvelope. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's funny. Too. Get on like a hippie tangent or whatever, but I think the 70s and 80s, the, the EPA really started getting involved in regulating uh, the amount of essentially garbage that was getting dumped into waterways. Do you guys, I mean, Alex, you were right? Like, was it the Cuyahoga River in Ohio that literally caught on fire that dumps into Lake Erie? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The toxic waste no, that was being dumped into yeah. Erie was literally catching fire. Not even because like people were setting on fire; like it was just catching fire because of all yeah. the chemical mixtures in the water that yeah. were mixing the up and in, igniting. Yeah. yeah. So the tangent, well, I, mean, I do agree that zebra mussels are making a huge impact in terms of cleaning up the water, but the amount of, I guess, like EPA regulations and things like that are also contributing to the water. Not that I'm a big whatever, but I think that's another thing to take into consideration as well, too, is the yeah. amount of, you know, being cognizant of what kind of jumps we're putting into the environment and cleaning up our waterway. Yeah, I mean, I think conservation now is better than it's ever been before. And I think that plays such a huge role in every aspect, not just like, conservation of hey we've put more fish here we've done a better job of you know making sure these fish have food but also we're doing a hell of a lot better job than we were in the 60s 70s and 80s of not putting a bunch of crap into the water you know i had this conversation with my dad the other day i was like man you gotta realize like in the 40s when they split the atom and figured out how to make the atomic bomb is when it all went to hell until like the late 80s when they realized how much crap they were dumping into the environment and how many plants and animals and humans were dying from all the crap that they were dumping into the environment. So now, Dirge, I think that is, I think that's also a huge factor. I mean, I think we are now doing better than we've ever done before in conservation in every aspect from the environment to the actual resource of the fish to the lakes and everything. And I, I mean, I know around here, like the TWA prides itself on working hand in hand with the TVA and all these businesses to make sure that we're doing things how they're supposed to be done and lakes are being regulated, how they should be regulated and chemicals don't get dumped into the water and all that. I know that was a huge, I forgot when it was. I know I read an article about it, but it was farmers on the Tennessee river system and specifically the Tennessee river system as it feeds out of Douglas and Cherokee, like the Holston and French broad, they were, you know, spraying pesticides on all, all of their crops and their crops ran right down to the edge of the water and you had all these pesticides being dumped into the water and you know, the French broad and the Holston were essentially just dead. Now the French broad and the Holston are alive and well, I mean, not as what it once was, but one of the big things that it killed up there was the little like uh, rock crawl or what do they call uh, snail darters and like the little sculpin type little bait fish. A lot of those died because of all that crap being dumped in the water. 
And because they got rid of all that, those sculpins and a lot of those little snail darters have come back on the rise and you've seen the population of smallmouth explode again. And now you can go catch five pound smallmouth up there again. So I think, dude, I think so, there is a big part of that. So what? So a great tangent to go off of that tangent is like <laughs> the point of the, the cleaning of the water. And then like you said, the forage base. I think another big thing that is contributing to it is all these invasive species we got, right? You know, whether it's the goat, rusty crayfish. And then also, honestly, some native species as well, particularly here. I, I'm not sure how much this to play with you, Alex, but like the fiscos, herring, those fattier bait fish. Return of L life on the Great Lakes, right? Like return of L life over on Lake Huron has balloon fish over there too that were previously decimated by the salmon. Well, I will say this this has nothing to do with smallmouth, but specifically walleye. I was actually told by a fisheries biologist here that if I were to catch a walleye in Norris Lake, that it is almost definitely a stocked walleye because the alewives that were introduced into the lakes around here um, actually make the walleye go sterile. And so that's an effect where you have a bait fish that's bad for the fish versus good for the fish. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know all the details about it. I just know that that was a conversation I had. I was actually standing on the ramp at Norris, and I think Dad was with me. And we said we told the guy he like you know he pulls you over. How many fish did you catch? What species did you get? Well, you know we've done that, Ben. We've been yeah. pulled over, and he and we said yeah we caught a big walleye, and it was like the guy was like really well let me tell you this <laughs> you know story about this. <laughs> Yeah, let me so, tell you this really interesting fact here. Yeah, and so I don't know. I don't know if it's different up there because I know I know while up there eat alewives, and I don't know if it makes them sterile. I don't know if it's just specifically the alewives down here. But that's a great example of an invasive species doing the fishery dirty versus doing it good, you know. And I think like perch down here, a lot of people I'll say, yeah, I caught like fifteen perch today, and they're like, ain't no perch in Tennessee. I ain't never seen no perch in Tennessee, dude. There's perch that are fifteen inches long swimming around in here. And I think there's a lot more giant largemouth and smallmouth that eat those perch than people realize. And I think that's another reason we're seeing all species of fish just get a little bit bigger around here. What are your thoughts about catch and release and the impact it's had? Do you, like, do you think that's impacting it as much as just like these bait fish? Or like, where does that kind of come in? Because obviously it's been made kind of cool over the last couple of years. <sighs> I, I think that's a hard question to answer. I think it's a loaded question. I think that there's enough people still that catch everything and put it into the grease that you're going to be able to have a population regulation that you need to have, because obviously you got to take some out of the environment to, a, to an extent, right? Cause to an like, extent, yeah. Right. Yeah. So to an extent, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a very loaded question. I, I just, I think it's, I think it's hard. I think it's hard because it's very specific to whatever body of water that you're talking about. Like here in Tennessee, you know, we've had the conversation with John, the biologist on my podcast and on the live stream where he has said, there's literally so many fish in these lakes, you could never hurt them. But if you say that about like one of those little pothole lakes that you got up near your house that well, I could literally throw a football from one side <laughs> up to the other. If you take five five pound smallmouth out of there, that's an enormous impact on a fishery that size versus a sixty thousand acre lake down here that has ten thousand bass in one pocket. You know what I mean? 
but I, I do think, I do think that there is, I think we're, I think we're not going to see an impact now. I think it's going to be like a 10 to 15 years from now thing that we see all these bass that have been released overpopulate certain areas of the lake, maybe more than the entire lake, because, you know, I've seen where I put a bass back in the water two miles from a spot and it swims back there and I've caught it again. And the reason I know that is because it had a spot on its dorsal fence, the damnedest thing that's ever happened to me. It made me completely rethink how much a bass actually moves. But then I also know that like when you take a bass from one end of Chickamauga and take it to the other end of Chickamauga, it's not going to swim that far back down there. Most likely it's going to do like your nine pounder did in Chickamauga and Dayton and live there the rest of its life. And so I think like in an area like right there, you could see a impact where there's too many big fish in that area and you start either having fish die and or just, I don't know, disappear. I don't know what happens to them. You know, there's die sink to the bottom and something eats them. Selective harvest is such another big conversation that Hellabass brought up over in the comment section. Um, This is in particular a couple lakes that I can think of in Michigan, uh, whether it's Sugar Springs, you know, or we're talking about beaver up in Alpena area. Like these lakes get so insanely overpopulated with so many of the same age class fish that it almost overruns a lake. And like, instead of being able to have those multiple age class fish all live together, it ends up just being a bunch of four pounders and like nothing much bigger, nothing much smaller. Dirds, what are you going to say? Here's the thing about the catch and release, right? Is like, when did that truly start getting popular? I guess late 90s early 2000s mm-hmm. that early even yeah i don't know because I'm sure about tennessee growing season but up here it takes 15 to 20 years to even see you know what that impact would be right of like the um tensionally it's taking 20 years to grow a six pound smallmouth up here a six pound large mouth up here so i guess i talk about it we would just be beginning to see those effects of like a, a pro catch rate. And to Halabas's point, um, yeah, like a selective harvest. I do think I don't have anything wrong with the harvest and fish, but like a, a responsible harvest of them, right? Like you're not gonna take if you go and catch a, a thirty pound share, you don't take thirty pounds home, but you take home a twelve pound stringer of you know, five two pound small amount. I'm cool with that. Do it all day. Do it every day of the week. Whatever. I'm fine with that. Um, but it's when you take that, the over-harvesting of over-large fish, I think, is what is going to hurt a, a fish rate. In particular, the smaller ones that we prefer to go to. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and also, I don't want to dive too far, like, we'll make a couple more points on this, and then we'll get back to the live school conversation, because I know there's some people wanting to hear that, too. But I think, like, to Alex's point about repositioning fish, Durds and I had, like, a half-hour conversation with our buddy Mike on the way home today because the bay, which is right by my house, the bay on Lake Huron, in particular the Saginaw River, which flows into the bay, there are, I don't know how many tournaments you'd say there are going to be there this year, Durds, 30 or 40 tournaments total? I mean, major, major tournaments? Well, I mean, like, just tournaments in general, or if you want to talk about only weekend tournaments where fish are going to be repositioned from the Great Lake, like, let's say 10 major tournaments out there this year, at least. If you want to count weekenders plus NPFL, Michigan, 
Michigan, Bass Nation, U College, High School. Um, what else is freaking coming? The Bassmaster Team Series. Um, there's a there's, kayak tournament because I got invited to it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a yeah. 10 or 15 that are launching out of um, independent city realistically one of the few areas that can host that many boats. And we were just talking like, number one, how much pressure is that going to bring to areas that you can realistically drive a from that location? And then how is that going to change the fishery within that area? Well, especially largemouth, like largemouth fishing on the bay, as you know, Alex, is some of the most insane largemouth fishing that you've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. But at the same point, you start taking these fish 15 miles out of the Great Lake and you put them in a river. How many of those fish really have incentive to go back out to the Great Lake, right? How many of those fish survive? Because just like any other fish, when you take them out of a certain water condition and a certain water temperature and drive them beating their damn brains out, 12 miles back in shore and then put them in a completely different water environment, completely different water temperature. I mean, dude, I can't, I can only imagine how many swim to the bottom, turn belly up and lay there and turtles eat them. Yeah. Ben, and, do you remember that tournament that we fished and we called out a largemouth on Jeremy Island? <laughs> yeah. We caught a largemouth really shallow, like right close to the ramp. And we drove it 10 miles up the middle of the bay. <laughs> we called it out up there. Poor thing. You put it back in the water and it was like, holy shit, it's clear out here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And to kind of build on that, the smallmouth, can you imagine all of these tournaments that are coming near, on near or around the spawn are going to be going out to the charities. They're going to be going up to that clear water, 20, 30, 40 miles out on the bay, catching fish and repositioning them into the river. And this isn't just like local tournaments. This is your college 250 college guys with a wait list of 500 boats for this college tournament. Good Lord, dude. Hey, I will say this, not to go off on another tangent and not to go off on a rabbit hole again, but I'm going to make a hot take right here that college fishing, I think will hurt bass populations more because of the amount, the college and high school in particular, because like, yeah, you have these big tournaments, like these BFL events and this, you know, whatever they call them now that come and it's like 150 to 200 boats. But dude, these high school and college events are ridiculous. When they had like They're a huge. 350 boater on Chickamauga last year, right before it got cold out. And I was like 350 boats in on one tournament. I mean, dude, it's just ridiculous. I, and not that I'm saying college fishing or high school fishing is bad, I'm just saying that I think when you start talking about like how much or how many fish can we take out of, an, out of an environment before it gets bad, that's the kind of stuff that starts making it bad is when you've got 350 dudes, but let's say they all catch a limit. That's a lot of fish. That's a lot of fish. And more than that too, like a lot of these kids aren't, they're not just going out there willy nilly casting a, you know, spin and pull around hoping to catch yeah. them. These are like hammers going yeah. on hammering on them and they're coming up for like two weeks to go hammer yeah. on these fish yeah like they're in and they're good they're good like I mean, they're for the most part let's say 200 of the 250 are like real hammers mm -hmm. and let's say that the 200 of the 250 all catch a limit it's yeah. a lot of bass taken out of an environment drove a long way and then put back i don't know i don't know what the impact is right i mean like what is the impact i have no idea 
I mean, and we've talked to the biologist about it before. And here in Tennessee specifically, he says, man, you can't hurt it. And, and I, I believe that to an extent. But then he's also said in the next breath, well, there's certain lakes where bass just live in an area. And when you take those bass out of an area, they may never replenish or it may take two years or five years for them to replenish. So I think, I don't know, dude, that's a rabbit hole we can go down forever in a day. But I think it's a very interesting conversation to be had, to say the least. For sure. And, man, it's going to be interesting over the next, what, five years, I think you'll start to see the impact of of what that's going to do. And, Mm -hmm. man, I love kids getting involved. I'm all about it. Dirds is all about it, obviously. But I think there has to be a way that's better than putting these fish in a live well and driving back. 40 mm-hmm. miles mm-hmm. i agree okay let's start to talk about this live scope conversation and i'm gonna pull up and i'm gonna share my screen for a half a second nerds you're flashing in and out buddy i don't know if your connections okay. you're flashing in and out i don't know if your connection is very good yeah i'm not sure what's on here but um, um <laughs> poor dude how did who he oh, black <laughs> oh, he's back there he is <laughs> no yeah we're good yeah we're good okay, cool okay so i'm gonna bring up a uh a post from instagram it's gonna show you guys kind of the ridiculousness of uh live scope and kind of i want to get your take okay i'm gonna share this post from instagram But essentially, what I'm about to show you guys is one of the most insane bags of smallmouth that I have ever seen in my entire life. Okay, so you guys can see my screen now. It's a 36.9 pound bag of smallmouth. It's a 687, 729, 773, 745, and a 753 for 36.9 pounds of smallmouth. Oh, Lord. I want to say something. Because I know this guy, and I followed some of what he's doing, and I don't... Here's the thing, man. This guy's put in so much... He's gotten so much heat because, like, there was a YouTuber who said, basically, this this should come with an asterisk. This should essentially be nullified because he used LiveScope to catch his fish. But if you know the real story of this guy, Andrew Lemley, the amount of time that he's put in on his body of water... Yeah, or if you know and you read about how he caught those fish and what he was doing to get them to go. Like, look at these fish. These are freaks of nature, dude. To catch one... Oops. To catch that's one, a big deer, too. Yeah, that's a big <laughs> deer. To catch one seven-pounder is insane. To catch four, basically have an average over seven pounds is ungodly. And look at those fish. That is just unbelievable. Well, I'm jealous, man. but good for him. Good for him. I wish it was me. Yeah. I, 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 th- I think, <laughs> I think, just to go ahead and crack off into the conversation, because I know where this is going. To 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 even to even entertain the idea that you devalue the work that this guy has put in around catching these fish is absolutely just effing ridiculous. No other way to say it. Because the thing is, is is I think this is a debate that gets brought up a lot, maybe even in hunting. I think hunting is going to be the closest parallel, and it's going to be the parallel that most people can probably relate to, right? You got these, 
you got these archery purists who think that if you kill a deer or an elk with anything but a bow, it's not truly hunting. And then you've got these dudes who are, are you know, high power rifle purists who believe that shooting a, a deer or an elk with anything but a high power rifle is dang near inhumane and or dangerous to the point where you're going to mess. You've got such a, 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 you got so much error that can occur that it's not as humane as shooting them with a rifle. And so I think that the, the, the conversation around the bass fishing and the live scope is something very similar where you have these dudes who are, you know, just go figure them out and catch them without live scopes purist and who think people who catch them with live scope actually just suck and that the graph's doing all the work. And then there's the dudes who have live scope and use it as what it is as a tool to go out to catch bass and to do it in a more effective way. Well, it sounds a lot like the archery versus the rifle guys. The archery guys just want it a little more difficult. They want to do it in a different way. They want to be at a disadvantage. They want to give the, the game or whatever they're shooting at and trying to kill a better chance, whereas the dude wants, with the rifle wants to be as effective as he possibly can. And so I think, though, at the end of – in all of that, right, in all of that, whether you're rifle hunting or you're bow hunting, you still have to find the deer. You still have to understand the deer. You still have to put your time in in the woods to kill the deer. You're just doing it two different ways. Well, with live scope and bass fishing, it's no different. You still got to find the fish. You still got to understand the fish, and you still got to put your time in on the water to figure them out. Because I can promise you, you strap live scope on the front of my boat, put me on the same exact lake as that guy, I'm not going to have, I'm going to be lost as last year's Easter egg. I'm not going to know what to do because I've never been out there. I don't, I, I, I might have a general understanding of Michigan fishing that time of year, but even with the live scope and even being able to see them, I'm not going to be able to go get on that spot and catch those fish that that guy did because I've not put the time in on the water. I don't have the understanding of the fishery and I'm not going to be able to do what that guy did. And so when you really boil it down to the simple fact of it, that's what this is, is it's a debate of anecdotal experiences. It's, it's somebody who has a stupid opinion versus somebody who may also have an equally stupid opinion or an ignorant opinion, better words for it. They're both ignorant to each other's situations, but they're not looking at the underlying thing here is that they're still fishing. You still got to find the fish. You still got to get them to bite. The graph may be a tool that makes it a little more effective at that, but it's st you still at the basis of it. You still got to go fishing. You still got to figure them out. So, you know, I've, I've thought about this a lot. I've obviously been at the butt of a lot of conversations because I've had live scope for a while and I'm a big proponent of it or whatever. But live scopes helped me catch a lot of big fish that I probably would not have caught. Right, like dirds, and you know best that I will chase fish around to catch catch the one that I see on the graph, and I will. I will spend Figure the time looking down at that thing until I can make that fish bite. And that's made me, he literally has almost made me sick on the boat with him before. <laughs> like, I don't get boat sick. And I mean, like, we're going around like this. And I'm like, dude, you're going to have to stop for five minutes. Yes. Uh, but, like, I mean, obviously, those are fish that I wouldn't normally catch. But when you start to boil it down, right, and you start to look at pro fishing as a whole, you can't tell me there's a single pro. Hey, let me rephrase this. There is not a single pro that does not have access or shouldn't have access to live scope or forward-facing sonar. Like if you want to be on the pro circuit and you choose not to have um, forward-facing sonar on the boat, like you're putting yourself at that disadvantage willingly. Like you're letting yourself have that disadvantage. 
because they all either have a um, access to sponsors or b they're fishing for money and they need to be able to put themselves in the best position to catch those fish so what you're going to see i think at the pro level is you're going to start to see guys who are going to be excellent at using their graphs and fishing offshore and that's just going to open up more water where those guys that are fishing shallow have the opportunity to do that. I almost think it's going to level the playing field a little bit because you're going to start to see guys really fish their specialties again. It's almost like what happened when, um, it's almost like what happened when you had Mark Rose learning the offshore game and you had a bunch of guys still fishing up shallow and you had your Denny Browers and your Greg Hackney's. You had these real true specialists. You're almost at a point where you can do that again because of the advent of forward facing sonar and whether you're Hummingbird, your Garmin, your Lowrance, your whoever, there is now access to it because they all have a version of it. Like there's no more saying at a professional level that there is an unlevel playing field with having live scope. You all have access to it as a tool in your arsenal. Whether or not you want to put it on your boat is one thing because John Cox is still taking people's money without it. Well, and I think John Cox is when you listen to some of the, the opens guys that I'm talking about, like Ty Evans, Jake and I watch a lot of his stuff. Um, those guys talking about fishing like the Red River or the Ohio River, or look at what you and I talked about today with Christy fishing with me. It's those guys that can run an aluminum boat 150 miles up the river where nobody else can get. Is that any different than someone being able to use a piece of technology? or a computer technology is no different. It's another piece of technology to go and target a different class of fish that other people aren't targeting, right? Well, it's just, it's just like, I mean, it's just, man, to refer back to hunting, because there's so many parallels in this and hunting, it's like getting a different rifle cartridge based on what you're hunting. You're not going to shoot an elephant with a 30-06, and you're not going to shoot a, a deer with a 500 Smith and Wesson. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, what's, what's the poison that you're picking? What are you doing? What's your specialty? What's your, what's your style? You know what I mean? You know, you're not going to shoot a, a, a deer at a thousand yards with a bow, just like you're not going to try to, I mean, you could shoot a deer at 10 yards with a rifle, but you get what I'm saying. I mean, it's like, what it, what, yeah, what's, what's the, what is the purpose of what you're doing and what's your style and what's your, what's the tool? Like there's a tool for every single job. What tool do you need for that job? And if so I bring, if, I'm bringing this comment up because this is um, kind of in line with what Zona talked about in his um, thing today when I asked him that question. He says, "Would you compare live scope to fenced in deer hunts? There are deer there. We have. Uh, you're still going to have an advantage of getting it. Um, I almost actually compare it better to like spotlighting deer in a field. Right now, obviously, this is a legal form of that, but like." being able to spotlight these fish out in front of you, being able to spotlight deer gives you the ability to like catch them in a habitat where they're not used to be caught. Right. To kind of a point that Dirds made though on the way home. And I think maybe it was Mike, like if you're in this goes to Sean's point here, if you flash a shot, uh, flash a spotlight on those deer long enough or enough times, they're going to get used to it. So the second you flash them, they're going to start to run away. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're already starting to see that, like that's already happening. Um, and, and I don't think that live scope even is, it is similar to flashing them with a spotlight, but at the same time, it's 
almost just allowing you to target fish that you weren't able to target before. So it's not like it's giving you a totally different advantage. You're just able to target those suspended fish that were a lot more difficult to catch prior. Yeah, I think that, that I think that's a a good comparison, but all at the same time, I mean, spotlighting a deer and shooting them with a rifle is very different than spotlighting a bass with live scope and throwing something at them and trying to trick them into eating something fake. You know what I mean? But I, I do want to go down the rabbit hole of these these bass are going to get used to that live scope. I already are. They're already seen. You're already seen this. Dude, I truly believe that a lot of people, including myself, underestimate a bass's ability to be very, very in tune with its environment. Like, I've had some conversations with some people that I can't really divulge into too deeply here, but the conversations are pretty much like, hey, our understanding of a bass is about that big, and there's about that much of it to understand. And, like, Bass are extremely, extremely in tune to their environment. And so I think they'll get used to that. They'll get used to that. You know, I don't know what it sounds like to them, but let's just say it's like a ding, 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 ding. I mean, and when that thing passes <laughs> by them, they're going to be like, ah, hell no, we're not dealing with that. Because there's going to be a... Dirt has a great story about this. Go ahead. I want to hear about it. Cass Lake. Oh, yeah. When... I was telling him on the way home, I was like, I fished this uh, tournament and I had these fish located and I knew I found them shallower, but I knew there was another population of fish that was feeding on these suspended bait because you can catch them on a spook over like there's water. What are they doing? You know what I mean? And I was like, oh my God, Ben, let me borrow your boat. freaking wreck them. I'll come home or I'll split the money with you. No big deal. I got there. It's like that cone from the last boat was like a broom. And all you would do is just take it and do this. And you just sweep all the fish out of there. Gone. It was ridiculous. Wow. wow. That was also a day where if you throw anything heavier than a quarter ounce drop shot weight and in the water, if one wouldn't leave when you when you spotlighted them, that gate would hit the water in 30 foot. And you could just watch it hear it and leave. Man, I'm telling you, I, I think that's stupid. <laughs> I mean, dude, I've even seen it to the point of even with like even the trolling motor. There's certain spots on the river that I can go take my boat and I don't get bites anymore. But if I'm in my kayak, I get bites. And it's because that kayak, man, I don't know what it is about it. I truly don't understand it. I mean, because like every bit of wildlife, even more intelligent quote-unquote forms of wildlife like otters and birds and crap dude they'll let you get right up on them deer like i've literally floated 15 foot away from a deer in my kayak and it just stands there look at you like what the hell are you but like if i'm my boat though you'll clear the woods out or the otters will swim the other direction and i mean a bass being even simpler dude there's places that i go in my kayak that i purposely take my kayak because i know i'll catch more fish and bigger fish because my boat isn't making all the noises that it makes the pings and the ticks and the clicks and the bumps and the you know all that and that's why i'm almost scared to put a graph on my kayak like i have a graph out in the garage to put on my kayak i've not put it on there yet because i'm almost scared to because i think that i'm gonna scare the fish away well we have this conversation too today is about brushless trolling motors and using more silent trolling motors or using your trolling motor in different ways which i won't dive into too much that's something the dirt's figured out but um like 
using a brushless trolling motor will keep your trolling motor more quiet, right? Allow you to sneak up on these fish better, especially when other guys are now running your Ultrexes or your Fortrexes and your Ultrex and everything else, right? Like, it's very interesting. I love, I love my Ultrex, but God fucker is loud. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, well, I wonder, I wonder if, and this is, this is kind of a crazy idea, but it's an idea nonetheless. Wonder if when like trolling motors were invented or for a period of time after trolling motors were invented, Bass Worm was curious as to what they were. Like, I'm not saying Bass swam up to your boat, but it kind of, instead of scaring them, it piqued their interest. It was like, huh, what's that? Like, what's that sound? Because, you know, a bass, like, if you watch a bass, like, bed fishing or just being able to see them, you throw something near them. If it's something, if they're not spooky and they're more, like, active, willing to eat, they turn and they're like, what is that? And they're looking for it. Well, I wonder if at, like, the beginning of trolling motors, that's what it was. Well, then they kind of learned trolling motors. Well, then graphs came out, you know, you know, trolling motor mounted graphs. And they were like, oh, what's that sound? It's more of a curiosity. But now they know oh, I'm going to have a fake thing thrown at me or whatever. You know, they're starting to learn these different sounds. And I wonder if for a time, like the Alabama rig or anything else, Live Scope almost was like, hey, what is that? This is a sound we haven't heard before. This piques my interest. Is this something I can eat? But now it's something, you know, what if it's almost like we're going to have to, the next step in technology is disguising all the sounds that we make. Like a... That's the benefit, yeah. I think, of HydroWave. Yeah. HydroWave. Hydro Hydrowave, you know, to me, I don't necessarily think that it activates fish. I don't think it turns fish on. I don't think it makes them right randy. But I do think it covers up all the noises you're making in the boat, whether it's your trolling motor or mm -hmm. it's your your units or it's or when I fart on that aluminum, man, I'm telling you, it's it's hard, man. Ooh. It really gets in the water. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> a local baseball game, a local softball field with aluminum bleachers, it really amplifies the sound when you. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude. If I'm sitting there tied on a jig, man, it just—I mean, dude, it'll—it'll. It'll, I've, I've seen—I've literally seen bass spook off the bait. You know, I mean, no, no, for real though. I mean, and I think, but what I'm saying is like, what's the next step of Hydrowave? Like, do we almost put Hydrowave into the transducers to send out a sound to disguise the ping? I mean, I don't know, right? I don't know. So when does technology become too much? What? What if you're just more quiet in general? No, 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 that won't happen. That, that's not happening. Simple, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. No, but like I mean, when, when does technology become too much? Cause we've talked about AR, we've talked about, you know, the ability to literally, this is where it's going. Like as much as we want to hate to say it, you're literally going to be able to put on glasses. Your graph's going to be overlaid in your glasses and it's going to show you the contour lines on the lake. Eventually it's going to get to the point where you're going to be able to see the fish swimming through your glasses on the lake, like that's going to be your fish finder. But when does it become too much? I mean, hell, Elon wants to drill a hole in our head and like get it to where we don't have to say words to communicate. I yeah. mean, like, yeah, put chips in your brain to let let your brains like know what each other are thinking. I like, wonder like, if there's going. Well, it's going to happen in our lifetime. It's going to happen in our lifetime where things are going to exist that because we're not on just a straight line curve anymore. Like technology is, is like a hockey stick. Yeah. I just wonder, I wonder if there's almost going to be a renaissance of getting rid of it all. 
Like you're starting to see that a little bit. Like I'm starting to even see it. Like and people are like, you know, yeah. I mean, like they're they're selling their houses, they're buying vans, they're converting them, they're living on the road. I mean, dude, you're seeing this humongous rise of people who are saying, I mean, excuse my French, but fuck it, and and going and selling everything that they got, getting rid of their phone and like going and living on the road. And I mean, I almost wonder in Bass Fish, I know for myself, like, dude, I honestly like, I just, if someone, literally this is what it's going to take. A company goes, Alex, we want to give you forward-facing sonar to use because I'm not going to buy it. It's too much money. I know for me, I'm just not going to use it like I probably could or should. And I'm just, I mean, dude, there's, there are whole days that I go to the lake and don't turn my graphs on. Would you have so, would you have side scan if it wasn't normal? Like if it was an additional cost? I could never, I couldn't tell you the last time I used side scan. I think that's the best comparison at this point because it's almost like it's just a natural thing. Like it's built in. It doesn't cost any extra. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I guess, dude, I don't use it. I mean, like I can't express to y'all how little I use my electronics. Like people ask me, Alex, can you do a video about your electronics? It's really short and simple. I literally don't turn them on sometimes. Like I use my mapping. My mapping is my most important tool to me. Like knowing the contours of the bottom and being able to see like underwater little humps and ridges and things. I guess it was just the way I was raised and the way I was raised fishing that I didn't use electronics. I used the natural topography of what was around me to figure out what I was doing. And it's like, even still, like I'll be fishing and catch one and go, oh, it was on that that limb in the water right there. And then that limb is like my target for the next 15 minutes trying to catch more fish. I don't know. I mean, you're talking. Hellabass called me out. Hellabass is over here. Like, it actually does cost extra for side imaging. Like, you can get it without. <laughs> you are true. You are true. Right? Like, okay, well, then fine. Why, why don't you see paper maps? Why would you buy a mapping Why would you spend the extra money when you can just get a good paper map? You know what I mean? You know, it, exactly. I mean, and I think yeah. the reason is it's just convenience. It's convenience yeah. that it's there. You know what I mean? It's but convenience that, that, yeah. That's the point I'm not trying to make. Like apple yeah. to apple, the comparison would be okay. You know. Yeah, yeah you can use like the general topography that you see, but it sure helps to have a nice GPS map on your on your unit, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think it evolves into well, it's really nice to be able to see out 175 feet on both sides of the boat. Oh, that's really nice to be able to see them actively moving under the boat. Oh, that's really convenient to be able to point at them with live scope and be able to see them. Man, it's even more convenient to put on your Costa Del Mar AR glasses and be able to have the map overlaid in your... You know what's even more convenient is Elon is going <laughs> to drill a hole in my head and I'm going to be able to talk to the fish and tell them to bite my worm. And dude, but you're right. It's the convenience of the next step. The next. I mean, it's just like these damn supercomputers that we got in our pockets right and the look at the beautiful woman on there but um but like i mean dude it's more convenient for me to go and look at my phone and it unlock than it is for me to type in my passcode it's more convenient for me to double tap my phone let it see my face and then be able to pay for something rather than get the card out of my pocket i mean it's laziness to an extent that i can't even explain but it is what it is it's a convenience mode and it's a convenience mindset of things become easier and I don't, is live scope fishing easier? 
maybe once you get really, really good at it, but I still think there's a learning curve at getting good at it. I mean, it's just like if I handed my perfect example, here we go. If I handed my nanny, my, my grandmother, for people that don't know what a nanny is, if I handed my nanny my iPhone, she wouldn't have any idea what to do with it. But if you gave her two weeks, then she would probably have this thing down as good as I've got it down. Maybe there'd be a few quirks here and there. She wouldn't get it. You give her two months, and she can pick this iPhone up and do everything that I can do with it, plus some. Live scope is the same way. You give it to me now, and we lost as last year's Easter egg. Because I have been on the boat with you, Ben. I'm like, how does this thing work? Which way do I turn it? I sound like an old <laughs> hey, person. Holy, uh, tell me where the fish are at. Yeah, I, I, and like, <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, what's a and fish? It is that simple, a fish? Right? Yeah. But here's the thing: it sounds simple to me. It sounds really, really like a dumb question to me. But when you get on there and you're like, man, how do you know that fish is 70 foot out? Well, because yeah. like I know that. You look at the top bar and you read down 50 foot and you look at the bottom bar and it's down 10 foot out of 50. You learn to use the tool. You learn to use the convenience better than anybody else learned to use the convenience. It's like a plumber working on pops. Like I don't know crap diddly about nothing when it comes to plumbing, but the plumber can walk in with all the same tools that I have in the garage and do the job far better than I can because he knows how to do it. He's taking the time and to I, learn it. I guess like while we're on the topic of tools, if you are a, if you're laying a foundation for a house, do you want to use a plumb and a square, or do you want to use a label? Like it's just it's the ease of technology and advancements yeah. that are going on. Like, yep. Okay. I think you're gonna make so a joke. Like now that we're on the topic of tools, that yeah. <laughs> yeah Ben's here, so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, dude, I, I think, though, to go back to kind of what the conversation was originally about, I mean, I think we've established very well that it's a tool and it has to be learned. Should we, I think the real question here is, should we, asterisk, Randy Blockett said that, asterisk, every fish catch on live scope? No, because then we would have to asterisk every wacky rig catch that John Cox had. Because I can promise you that SOB is better with a, a wacky rig than I'll ever be. Then we got to asterisk every crankbait fish that Kevin Van Dam caught because Kevin Van Dam's the best crankbait fisherman that's ever lived. Then we got to asterisk every, you know, what I mean, you go down the list. There's people who are, it's like going into football. No, we got to asterisk every pass that Tom Brady has ever passed. No, we don't because he's the best that's ever done it. There are going to be people who are as good at live scope as I am at flipping. And because I know I'm good at flipping, some I've done since I was freaking that tall. I mean, before I even knew what it was. And so there's people who are as good at live scope as I am at flipping. And you put us in the right situation at the right time with the right bait in our hand. And we are going to knock down, drag out, fight it out to who's going to catch the biggest fish in two very different styles and two very anecdotal separate ways on the water. And it's our experience on the water that's playing into the fish catching, not the, and the tools in our hands are just assets in that experience. There was a great comment that came in and I wish I would have pulled it up, but it was basically, um, how much do you think this debate about live scope is the fact that we now all have the ability to voice our opinions online in a very easy fashion, right? Like if you would have had this around, if you'd had YouTube and Instagram and social media around when side imaging came out, would there have been the same debate, right? Just because like, man, you got to think there was a time where not everyone had side imaging. 
and mm-hmm. not everyone understood side imaging and the impact that that had on being able to catch more fish. Think about those guys that were bank beaters that now realize like, oh my gosh, side imaging opens a tool for me to go on and identify where fish are at on ledges. And now I can go up to the ledge and catch those fish. Mm-hmm. But now that everyone has the ability to come online and say whatever they think with really no con- really very limited consequences, like now you're starting to see better discussion on, on people's true opinions, which isn't great, isn't bad. It's just part of the way that life is at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a online is the new public square, and it's just the way that it is. And I think any new technology, any new invention, a company comes out with a new bait, whatever it might be, people are going to have opinions about, and it's going to be great, it's going to be negative, it's going to be in between or indifferent. But like, there's always going to be someone that agrees or disagrees with you at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think. I think the rise of technology and the fact that people like us have a voice now and have a platform to talk on, it keeps people from, it keeps pros, it keeps companies, it keeps individuals from hiding behind their own bull crap. Cause I think for a long time in every aspect of life that you could imagine, <coughs> Joe Rogan is, is like a great example. Joe is a great example of somebody who's calling everybody on their bull crap. And like, so in that aspect of the world, People are starting to have to make changes because they're getting called on their bull crap. Well, it's the same way in the fishing industry. That's why, especially this year, Ben, we've talked about, you're seeing a huge transition to content creators in budgetary concerns because these companies are going, God, we can't hide behind our freaking ads in Bassmaster Magazine anymore because these kids are out here telling it like it is. And so it's like, we've got to, we've got to buy into this system because if we don't, we're losing. And so I think it's a great thing. I think it's beautiful. I think it's awesome. And I think it lets a lot of people just not be able to hide behind their bullcrap anymore in every aspect of life. It's it's the speed of information, right? Like -hmm. like you're saying, um, who the hell was I listening to that was talking about, like Kevin Van Dam had the hair jig on those 50 River Lakes way before anything they was growing on those Mm -hmm. offshore now you can't hide that, like you said. You can't hide behind the iron curtain of bullshit, which mm-hmm. I don't know how it came up with that or that in one of the two, but this is what it is, right? So, <laughs> uh, you know, the speed of the information, the technology, all of that stuff is playing into how quickly things are changing. And people don't like that. People don't like change. People don't like being thrown off the rocker and having to adjust and grow into a, a new world and a new way that things are working. Mm-hmm. it is weird dude and you're seeing it and you're seeing it in so many aspects you're seeing people who don't want to grow with the technology but you're also seeing people who don't want the it's like the the different the different end of the spectrum right i mean like you got guys who hate it you got guys who love it you got all these people in between and then you guys got you got guys like me who really don't give a damn whether it exists or not because i'm still just going to do my thing and i and i think it's what like being able to say all this out in public has done is it's everybody has an opinion. Opinions are like buttholes. Literally everybody has one. And so like, do you have a butthole if you're have a colostomy bag? I mean, you still uh, have a hole, right? I mean, it just doesn't not, get used. Uh, well, it just depends. Um, <laughs> it's just, I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't know, man, but it's like, 
it's just all these opinions are just boiling over, right? I mean, it's all out online. It's all on YouTube. Anybody can get on YouTube, point their camera at their face and go, I hate baseball. And then there's going to be 150 people in the comment section being like, you're stupid. Baseball's the greatest game of all time. And then there's going to be some dude in India that's like, uh-uh, cricket's the greatest game of all time. What's cricket? You know, and then there it goes, right? Like, yes, we're sitting here having this, you know, this, this debate and this intellectual conversation where it's because we love the sport. It's because we want to have the conversation because we think it's fun and we think it's interesting. And there is probably going to be somebody comment on one of our live stream comment sections and disagree with us. And, and at that time, I'm going to go, yeah, that's his opinion. Good for him. Hopefully he listened to the conversation like I try to do in many aspects and try to learn, you know, that, hey, it may be okay that change is happening. You know, I don't know. It's interesting. This, this got me right here. Okay, so if you have a colostomy bag, Ken says uh, the rectum is screwed. <laughs> the rectum is so okay. shut. On this one. Oh, that's amazing. And that's that's rough. That is really rough. What about people who have colostomy bags like and but just to divert it so something can heal? Isn't that a thing too? I, I don't know. We're not gonna have a conversation about colostomy bags. Never mind. <laughs> no, yeah. I just think it's really uh I don't know, man. I think the whole conversation about technology is pretty interesting as far as like fishing and the impact that it has and the benefits so man i think the best analogy that you made alex was the tool for the job right and you can go back to side imaging but i think at a pro level maybe not at a local level like but even at a local level you think about when side imaging came out the benefits that it gave the guys that were able to buy and afford side imaging when it first came out i don't know how long the people in the comments have been fishing but side imaging is not that old it's like 2009 was when Humminbird really came out with side imaging. The benefits that it gave to the people that were actually going out there and using it and understood how to use it to be a better angler, guys were winning because they actually had side imaging. So, I mean, a live scope to me is just another technology that that is here to stay with the sport. Everyone at a professional level, um, everyone at a professional level has the access to it in some shape or form. And I, I think what's going to happen is what's always happened. Like the dude who won Angler of the Year a couple years ago and I think it was the Hobie Opens was in a paddle kayak. The guy who won it this year was in a Hobie. But he wasn't in a 360 drive. He was just in a normal Hobie. I mean, dude, John Cox is going to keep winning tournaments because he's good. I, it's going to level the playing field, man. I really believe more than yeah. anything, live scope is now leveling the playing field and opening the door for the guys that want to fish shallow. Like so many guys say, you can't win without it. Maybe at a local level, it makes, it becomes really difficult to win without live scope because, like, yes, the the cost aspect comes into it. But that that happened with side imaging. That happened with every piece of technology that now costs extra money. But at a professional level, you're going to see guys that are specialists be able to go out deep and do the live scope thing or do the cranking thing on live scope or do XYZ, you're also going to see the specialists that are in shallow water being able to catch them. So uh, one thing, Christopher's comment here is interesting. He says, do you think Apple's going to stop making phones after 120? I don't know what that means, but like stop making phones. Same as with fishing electronics. Now this is a conversation that can be had is the fact that fishing electronics are 20 freaking years behind iPhones. Like, now that is one thing to say. Live scope may exist, but 
let's be honest. The the uh, OS, the operating system of most of these graphs is rudimentary at best. Like it's something that it's slow. The and, processors are miserable. Oh God, yeah. And like now, I know to push that up to put an M1 chip in a, a Lawrence, if it could even be possibly done. You know, that's obviously going to push that thing into the six, seven, eight thousand dollar price range. But still, I mean, I think even with like the invention of LiveScope, that's just a tool. But like the 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 OS and the hardware that we're using is crap compared to my MacBook Pro that I'm doing this on right now. Like you couldn't have a live stream on a Lawrence graph. And so like, I almost think like, you know, as much as it has advanced, it's really not as advanced as it could be. And so what I think would be interesting is, is do faster processors, do things like that, add to the aspects of what we already have, or does it take us into a completely different plane of existence with electronics on bass on boats? You know what I mean? Like, is the ability to be able to process like an M1 chip processes in, an, in a MacBook give us the ability with a graph to do things that we could have never imagined? Is that the next step into the future of fishing electronics? You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, crazy. I, I don't know the answer to any of this, but... I think so. I just don't think that the level of necessity is there, but like why would a global company dump that much money into fishing on their way more problem solved, right? Like, talk about phone, like how many people have a cell phone versus how many people have a uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like a Garmin, I mean, like a Garmin, the only reason we have live scope from Garmin is because of military contracts. Like, the most important thing to them was not, how can we make fishing better for fishermen? It was, how can we spot submarines before they shoot us? <laughs> or like That's the biggest can... thing about Garmin, too, is a lot of the yeah. technology doesn't come from, ba from bass fishing. Like, yeah, they relate to the world with side imaging, but there's so many military contracts Garmin has because it's so much bigger than just a, I'm going to focus on how to catch more bass. Yeah. Like, yeah. they're involved with the military and the um, aircraft world and... XYZ, so many other things beyond just bass fishing. Like, how many of you guys had those old Tom Toms or the Garmin handheld GPS map units that would take you from like A to B? Like, Hummingbird and Lawrence don't have this, right? Like, Garmin's yeah. involved in so many things outside of just bass fishing. Mm -hmm. Like, their technology is not just limited. And so it almost kind of makes you question what's coming down the road mm -hmm. that we don't, that might already exist, probably already exists. Well, I, mean, I can almost. Then those maps that Ethan's dad gave me yesterday, like those USGIS military grade maps, he also gave me a handheld garment. And when I fired it up, it said, like, uh, all rights reserved 2001. And it fired up on the first button, but I said, wow, this <laughs> is thank you, Steve, for this piece of memorabilia of Garmin. Man, that's insane. But yeah, man, I think that we had a really interesting conversation, both about live scope, but also about like whether it truly helps you go out and catch bigger bass, which I think we all concluded like it can, if you understand the technology, but kind of expanding upon that, like our bass really getting bigger or are guys just able to catch those bigger bass. And I think we kind of came to the conclusion there too. Yes. Guys are able to catch those big, like bigger than average bass sometimes because of live scope, but at the same point, I think we're going to start to see, obviously, 35-pound bags, 36.9-pound bags. 
there's gonna be a 40 caught like it's gonna be insane man but like there's going to be a 40 pound bag of smallmouth bass caught somewhere and i don't think it's gonna happen too long from now what's gonna be hilarious is when it's caught not using live scope by some dude in a john boat or something i think you know what i mean like somewhere up in canada little nightcrawler out the back of his uh when he's back home from florida yeah telling you man state record it's like the state record here was caught on an alabama rig in february when schools were closed i mean nothing nothing special he just went out there and did what everybody else was doing and that 15 pounder just happened to eat you know i mean be interesting that's crazy but yeah man i appreciate you guys joining everyone that listened in whether you were on a podcast forum or live um really appreciate it give it a thumbs up share it with your friends if you think they'd enjoy this conversation uh enjoy your bourbon get some sleep we'll catch you next time bye